Stefan is going to come and preach for us now. He's going to be in John chapter 9, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Thank you, Stefan. Good morning. So just before I say anything else, I was born in Illinois. That's why maybe I don't sound very French. But I grew up in France. I'm half French. My father's French uh, and lived there my entire life. So I still am more French than Steve. So it's really a privilege, an honor to be here with you this morning. And I don't know, it's, you probably, if, if you've not been to, to France or, or a country with very few believers, you don't realize uh, how, how mind-blowing it is for us French uh, to come to America uh, and to realize you probably consider yourself a middle-sized church, maybe even small, I don't know, but uh, you would be like the largest Baptist church that we know of, like that exists in France is less than 500 people. Okay, the average church size would be 80 people, including children and people that are visiting that are wondering who Jesus is. Uh, so, you know, this is pretty incredible for us, and thank you very much for your hospitality, your generosity over these last 10 days. It's really been great. Uh, and when we thought through what, what would be a good text to look at, um, John 9 came to mind because that's what we're going through we're going through the Gospel of John as a church right now in Pontcherry. And it's a text that both has much to say to anyone who's asking questions about who Jesus is, and it's a text that has much to encourage all of us in our daily life. Will there be a clear takeaway where you're going to go and change such and such a thing in your life? Maybe not. One of the basic things that we all need is to see Jesus more clearly and want to worship him more fully. And I'll pray that this text does that for all of us. And I hope that all of us will also have a renewed zeal to be witnesses to Jesus. The text of John 9, you might think of the witness of this man born blind and how he's such a great example. And we're not going to actually look at that too much. That will be for the life groups this week. We're just going to look at something even more key uh, why it affects the way we witness, the way we talk about Jesus. So I'm going to pray still for us, even though many of us prayed. It's also for myself. Father, thank you uh, for this moment with these brothers and sisters in your word. Please do your work through your word in all of our hearts. Please make us rece- receptive to your work. Please open our eyes to see Jesus fully and beautifully. We ask this in his name. Amen. All right, I'm going to read along in your uh, Bibles, and then probably the rest of the time I'll be in another translation just simply because I find myself better, okay? In an English travel Bible. It's kind of small, but it works. John 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Then when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. 
Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes open? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight, and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. And that ends our reading of God's word.
This story is well-known, well-loved, because we have a witness who is incredibly emboldened as time goes on, right? But there's more going on. The last verses are going to be the, the, the big tip-off, but there's more going on than that. And so I suggest that this morning we look at really just the, te- the text in two big parts. The first verses, really the very first verses where we see this man's situation, reminds us all that sin destroys our lives. We are in a bad, bad state. Sin destroys our lives. But as the story goes on, the second thing we'll notice is that sin has done more than destroy our lives, our physical lives, messed up our situation. It's also destroyed our spiritual lives, our spiritual eyesight. And we have a man here that is actually, if you want, doubly blind. We're going to realize that he needs to be doubly healed. And there's definitely a lot of, of things uh, to take away for us <clears throat> in this man's situation. So first, sin destroys our lives. And we're going to see each time how Jesus then restores this sad state to something beautiful and glorious. Sin destroys our lives. We see it everywhere. Just a couple, now, not days ago, weeks ago, uh, I was coming home from, from the office and on the parking lot in front of our house, I see this father that I know uh, works a shop downtown holding his daughter's hand, three years old, four years old, trudging slowly. I don't know, I can see her face if she was sad or not, but there was a woman on the parking lot waving goodbye. And they divorced about a year ago, uh, the parents. And this daughter, this beautiful daughter, will never again uh, be able to live with both of her parents simultaneously. They will swap kid every weekend, in and out. And, And we have, that's just a small reflection of Every one of our lives is not as it should be. All of us have been affected by sin by one way or another. It might be like this man with, with handicap, but it might be a, mul- uh, a, a multiplicity of different painful situations that remind us, that cry out, the world is not as it should be. Sin wants to destroy everything in our lives. And Sin destroys our lives. We see this man who is, who is handicapped from birth, blind from birth. And the disciples, you notice, have some really hard words. It's pretty shocking. They're asking, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And we might find this shocking, but I think we all have this tendency to somehow still think, man, that person is suffering so much. What did they do to deserve that? And we wouldn't say it because we're, we're, we're too... We're too sophisticated to admit it, but there's deep down this thought that there's something like that. And these disciples, actually, if you think about it, are partially right and pretty wrong at the same time. Why are they partially right? They're right to identify that our suffering in this world is a result of sin. They're right about that. But where they're really wrong is to try to identify specific sins and our suffering in this world. Sometimes it's pretty clear. You know, we have a guy in our church who had uh, multiple car accidents but was a drug user. Well, you will have consequences then uh, from your accidents because of, of drug use, perhaps. But most of the time, our suffering, suffering in this world is not directly linked to a specific, specific sin. The best way maybe to see that is if our country would go to war and the whole nation wants to go to war, it would be absolutely crazy to, to blame the ones that die in this war for, particular, for a particular sin. 
They were particularly guilty of wanting this war. No, as a nation, we wanted, as, as a people, as a planet, we wanted independence from God, and we were cursed for our rebellion against God, and all of us are suffering. Simply, the suffering can be of various kinds. It is linked to sin, but not to specific sins. And Jesus goes on to show how he is powerful to restore our lives by healing this man born blind. This is going to show us his power. And if you know a little bit of the Gospel of John, this is the second time. Verse 5, he mentions being the light of the world. It's the second time he says it. Chapter 8, the previous page, verse 12. So second column, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Either this is incredible or it is incredibly arrogant. Jesus does not leave any of us with a third option. Either I am following him or I am in darkness, rejecting him. And later in the chapter 8, we realize, and dead in sin. There are only two options, either his light or darkness, either following him or rejecting him, either life with him or death away from him. He said that in chapter 8, and now we have this man that's going to serve as like a, not an object lesson, you know, you see teachers or, or preachers that use objects to teach a deep spiritual truth. Jesus takes this man, and it's a person lesson. This man's life is going to show the power of Jesus to give light to the world by giving light to a man born blind, and he does that in verse 5. He says that, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And that in the Old Testament several times is used for the Messiah, the sent one. So there's a little play on words there. He's got to go to the sent one, the sent, to be healed. And so he went away and washed and came back seeing. But as the story goes on, we realize that the man is doubly blind. Now he's physically healed, but there's still going to be a whole process going on. And this is where it gets a bit more personal. We see that, secondly, sin destroys our spiritual eyesight. And it actually has affected all of us, whether we realize it or not. And it gets really, really tricky at the end. Because it's only those that recognize they're blind that can possibly see. And we're going to see that. So let's look at three clues that the whole world is blinded by sin. It's all in the text. We have the neighbors of this man, and then we have the Pharisees that are really going to show us their blindness. And it'd be easy to say, wow, they're so bad. Look at how blind they are. They're so dumb. But we're going to try to examine ourselves each time. So the first real manifestation of this blindness is verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. And I don't know in, in the U.S., but in France, we have this kind of uh, conception that everyone before the 1900s was, was dumb and ignorant, gullible, naive, and now we're the the enlightened ones, the wise ones, the educated ones, and we now believe in science, and we don't believe all kinds of silly lies. That's really an arrogant thing to, to, to do, and the Gospels are make, make it very clear that 2,000 years ago, people were not naive. They knew that a man born blind stays blind, and so they would rather imagine that there's a perfect look-alike in Jerusalem 
than imagining there's a guy that was blind and who now sees. That sounds very modern, doesn't it? We're going to find all kinds of crazy theories rather than believing that there's a God that acts in history, acts in our lives. And it's a sign of our blindness. We are a culture, in France particularly even more so, that still does not believe. Very often we reject any supernatural explanation. We don't believe in a God who intervenes in human history, a holy God out of love who intervenes in our lives. And so I don't know, is that something that you believe in? Does your prayer life reflect believing in a supernatural God who intervenes in human history? As you investigate, perhaps you're here for the first time, as you investigate who Jesus is, is, do you believe in a supernatural God who intervenes in history? Otherwise, you're going to have a problem with much of the Bible. And you're not going to be able to take it at its, at its word. You're not going to take it as, it as it is. And you're going to try to reinterpret things with your explanations. And you're going to believe that there's a lookalike rather than the true story. A second clue that we're blinded, we're culture, we're world, blinded by, by sin, is that we're blinded by false beliefs. We see guys blinded by false beliefs in this story. Uh, and this is just the next verses. With the Pharisees um, that meet this, this blind man, um, we learn in verse 14 that it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And that's going to be key for their, their whole problem with this man's healing. Because he did it on the Sabbath. He can't be a good man if he breaks the Sabbath. That's their belief. And we think, wow, they're so dumb. But do we not have all kinds of false beliefs? Their belief was, yes, God told us to put aside the Sabbath and respect it. And they added all kinds of commandments to put a fence around the Sabbath to make sure we never, ever violate the Sabbath. And they totally uh, lost the, the, the whole goal, the whole spirit of the law. What do we do? Churches are a great place to have all kinds of traditions that have lost the, the gospel, that have lost the spirit of God's commandments for us. There are churches that fight over singing more modern songs. There are churches that fight over the pastors getting rid of the tie. There are, past, there are churches all over, France included, that have set up traditions and we are blinded by these traditions to what God is doing, what God wants us to be doing. But it also, perhaps, if you're not a Christian or you don't know if you are, you know, it can be other things. I uh, recently heard of, of two people in a, in, a, in a church plant that don't want to listen, don't want to attend the, the, the sermon series on the Old Testament. They're not Christians yet, but they're like, no, it's a cruel God in the Old Testament. I don't want to listen to the Old Testament. That's a false belief that is going to blind, like, prevent them from ever discovering the true God of the Bible, who is both just and full of love, pursuing us reckless, like, with, with reckless love, as we sang. And the third clue of our blindness is the prejudice that we see, both in the story and in our hearts. How are we seeking the truth? We might think we're very earnest, we're very sincere in our search for who is the historical Jesus, the real Jesus of history. But we sometimes set up defeater beliefs 
defeater prejudice, if you want. And look at what, what they, these guys have. We're going to go very quickly on that. But when, they question, when they, uh, the Pharisees uh, call for the family of the blind man, because I can't believe this, they get a very strange response from the family. Do you notice that response? Like, we know he's our son. We know he was born blind. But the rest, ask him. That's what they're doing. And the reason for that is given in verse 23, well, 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. As you are investigating who Jesus is, do you have those kind of prejudice? False beliefs in a certain sense, but it's even stronger than that. You have isolated yourself from the truth because you cannot believe in a man that would be God. Or you cannot believe in a God who would send his son to die. Or you cannot believe in a God who asks so much of us, and yet it's all by grace that we're saved. I don't know what it is. What is it? In our culture, in our American culture, French culture, we have these, this prejudice that prevents us from coming to the truth and really meeting Jesus as he really is. Will you follow the truth no matter where the evidence leads? And even as Christians, we have this tendency as well. Are we prejudiced against certain books of the Bible because they're too bloody? Leviticus comes to mind. It's a great book. It shows how a holy God wants so badly to be in relationship with us, he is going to do all kinds of efforts to make a way for us to know him. And we're just shocked by the blood, and we're like, oh no, that's how holy he is, and look at how much effort he made to show us, to already allow the people of Israel to have a relationship with him, despite his holiness. What books of the Bible are you rejecting at this moment? Or are you ignoring simply because you're like, oh yeah, they're kind of... Or are there parts of Jesus' commandments that you think, that's for the pastors and the elders in a church. I mean, that's not really for every Christian. Are you sure? Or is it prejudice? And Jesus restores that spiritual eyesight. But he does it for the man born blind. I don't know if you've noticed. He doesn't do it for the Pharisees. That's where it gets tricky for us as well. But this, uh, Jesus meets this man at the end of our story. After he's been put out of the synagogue, this, think about it, poor guy. He lives in a culture where people suspect you sinned in utero or your parents sinned or perhaps they believed in reincarnation and you believe, uh, they believe that the guy sinned in a previous life. Some, some sects in the, in, the Pharisee, uh, in, the, in the Jews believe that. And so the man born blind, he is cast out of society from the day he's born. This guy's a sinner. He's finally healed and because he believes in Jesus, he's cast out of all religious life. And imagine a, a culture, I mean, where everyone goes to the synagogue, what it means to be cast out of the synagogue. Your business dies, your family ties are severed, severed, uh, you have lost all social connection. And the guy never had any, he had them for a fraction of a second, and he's out again, doubly marginalized. But Jesus goes and sees him. And verse 37 says, Jesus said to him, oh, pardon, um, Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him. Think about what that means to a man born blind to hear Jesus say, You have 
both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And this is what Jesus does. He gives sight, not just to the men and women born blind, but all of us are blind. This story teaches all of us are blind. Jesus proves it in verse 39. For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. And you're not supposed to read that and think, oh, there are people that see and there are people that don't see. No. Because the next verse of the Pharisees where they say, are we, also, are we, are we not blind too? Are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin but since you, see, uh, since you say we see, your sin remains. What Jesus is saying here is that all people on the planet are born spiritually blind. And the only ones that will have their spiritual sight restored are the ones who in humility confess, I am blind. I need to see. The ones who do not recognize that will be blind. That is the judgment that Jesus talks about. And I mean, Jesus is kind of like the seeing eye chart. I think that's what you call it. He's come to save the world. But by coming into the world as light, he will reveal who sees him and who does not. As if we were in a dark room, and if you light a match, whoever does not see that match, they've just recognized they're blind. It's actually hard to know that you're born blind if everyone is blind, right? We live in a world of sin. We're all blind. And there's a moment of grace when we, we realize, I'm blind. I need Jesus' grace. I need his intervention in my life to see. I discovered that I was not blind, but very, 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 um, with very, very bad eyesight. One evening in a field with a family, looking up at the stars, and everyone's like, oh, that, that star is so nice. And I'm like, what stars? <laughs> Next day, we went to get glasses. Jesus reading the gospels he is that seeing eye chart where you look at him and if you don't see him as glorious if you don't bow down and worship at the end of reading the gospels if you are not saying you're my king jesus and i will follow you wherever you send me you're probably blind because he's glorious but sin has blinded our eyesight blinded our eyes from seeing who he truly is see him as he is so at the end of the story, this man confesses him as Lord, call, uh, follow, starts following him, bows down, says he's a disciple, right? At the end, he says, do you also want to become his disciples? He tells the Pharisees that. So implied is that he ha the man, blind man has become a disciple. If, if that is not our reaction to Jesus, it's pretty strong evidence that we are spiritually blind. And think about it. Who is the most, uh, who's the best candidate for blindness, spiritual blindness? Are we not, as evangelicals, one of the best candidates? We're the most like the Pharisees in many ways. We're zealous for God. We're very religious, very devout. And the tendency, I mean, this is, happens in France. I'm sure this is probably even, a, I'm pretty sure it's even a bigger problem where there's so many Christians in, in Texas. You can do all the right things, know all the right theology. The Pharisees were great theologians. And yet, at the end of the story, they're the ones that are blind. They're the ones that because they think they see, they are blind. And it would be a tragedy for any of us here. And that would be the first thing, how to re respond to this text. 
is if you do not see Jesus as glorious, if there is not a love for Jesus that is deep in you and that has not disappeared in the years that you think you're a Christian, if that's not there, perhaps you're blind. And it's very simple. The next step is very simple. Confess your blindness because it is those that recognize their blindness that can be healed by Jesus. The Pharisees worshiped God, knew huge portions of the Bible by heart. They expected the Messiah. They tried to be good people. They believed the whole world is under the curse of sin, and yet they remained Pharisees blind in their sin. So confess your blindness if that's perhaps your, your case. In humility we come and we confess our, our blindness, and Jesus promises to heal. We had that just recently with a 29-year-old in our church. Grew up in, the, grew up in a church about south of us, um, was a youth leader early on, very involved in her church, long Christian family. In age 29, after a few years of desert, of a crossing of the desert, and having no church life, she reconnected. And a few months later, she became a, a believer and realized that she had never been born again, that she had always done the right things, but had never been captivated by who Jesus is. And even in that process, she repented of her sins, and she realizes afterwards, I put my confidence in my repentance and not in Jesus. And it's only when she realized Jesus has died for my sins so that I would not die for them and put her trust in who Jesus is that she was all of a sudden born again. And there was a definite change from week to week as we saw her change of heart and her spiritual eyesight regained. Another reaction to this text, I hope, is worship. Did you realize, and this is just the story of a man, but the rest of the Bible does teach this, the man did not ask for eyesight, both physical and spiritual, to be restored. Jesus initiated it. Jesus goes to this man, puts mud in his eyes, and says to go wash. Yes, the man responds correctly, but Jesus initiates it. And the same time, when the man is cast out of the synagogue, Jesus initiates this next meeting. Your salvation, my salvation, is of grace. And the whole Bible teaches that. And if we don't respond with worship, we're probably blind, but if we don't respond with worship, there's, nothing, there's no other response to have. Jesus is so good to us. We can't imagine, begin to imagine, a holy God coming into a sinful world that has rebelled against him. And out of love, he comes willing to suffer in our place for our sins so that we would no longer be under the curse of sin, that we would no longer suffer the consequences of sin. And third consequence for our prayer life and our witnessing of who Jesus is, I hope this inspires us because I think one of the big obstacles for witnessing to what Jesus has done is fear. Isn't it not? We're fear to re we fear rejection. We fear not knowing what to say. The, on, on the what to say part, Part you'll see in life groups. I mean, this man says twice, I don't know. I don't know. He feels very comfortable saying, I don't know. He's pointing them to Jesus, right? But there's more than that. Why fear rejection? Everyone is spiritually blind around us. They need this more than they ever could imagine. So what, what's a little rejection? And then why should this inspire our prayer life? We just saw that Jesus is the one that initiates this. Let's be praying that Jesus initiates it with our neighbor, with our colleague, with our friends, with our parents, with our children, that Jesus would initiate. That's why we pray. 
Because God is the one who saves. Yes, he uses our testimony. Yes, he uses our witnessing. But are you praying that God would intervene in the history of our lives to save? Let's pray.